Hey everyone, a quick warning before we start. This episode has some swearing in it. All right, hello everyone and welcome to another 20 Mile Podcast. Here with your hosts, myself, Mike Williams, and Gabriel Barsante. We're really excited to hear another Founders March story and we're here today with Connor Tobin. Welcome, Connor. Hey everyone. Connor is Founder and Chief Innovation Officer at eBuy Now. And we'll find out more what innovation officer means. So currently, eBuy Now is a team of about 19, soon to be 64. Yeah, Something yeah. interesting well, happening there. Goes through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Connor lives in Victoria, BC, originally from Abbotsford, which is a suburb of Vancouver. Yeah, say. now it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of enclosed in there. So Connor lives with his gorgeous, beautiful, brilliant wife. Yeah, wife points, good. <laughs> and, and two kids who are one and three years old, which yeah. I'm sure keep you bu- as busy as the business. Yeah. So his, Connor's background is in physics, although he never actually worked Not in, at all. in that. <laughs> Not at Went all. to school for it, but didn't use it. But is a self-taught programmer and got his start with some peer-to-peer web hosting adventures we'll call them yeah 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 when he's not working or hanging out with the family and kids you can find him sleeping uh, sleeping (laughs) honestly sleeping but you know playing squash playing golf and apparently doing some CrossFit now. Yeah, just just recently. Doesn't yeah. show. Doesn't yeah. show at all. Yeah. Cool. And Connor's superpower is super creative problem solving, which makes sense, right? Being an entrepreneur, you just you know, you find job. ways to you yeah. know. make a plan, fail at executing the plan in a hundred different ways, and then find a way to get to the next step until you finally executed the plan. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's 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 fail fast and, and yeah. pivot, right? So you have to be willing to try different things and be creative. With yeah, those. cool. So, so welcome, Connor, and this Thanks, I'll hand it off to Gabe. Welcome, Connor. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so you were telling us a little bit about eBuy Now just before we started. Sounds very interesting. Business that you have for the last seven years, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you get started? Sure. So I want to give you kind of where we are today, and then we'll go backwards. Sure. Right? So where we are today is that we're a consumer electronics company that we manufacture a product, we brand product, and then we bring it to market globally, and we sell direct to consumers, primarily online. What we do is that we actually uh, we manufacture IoT product, and then we go and we license brands, we apply the brands to the product, and then we sell the product to consumers. Right now we have the Kodak brand, and soon the Motorola brand, uh, for smart home and wearable products, and uh, we're primarily an e-commerce company that manufactures our own goods. That's like the heart of the company. But where we got started in this is actually in a strange mix of uh, consumer electronics and e-commerce. So my co-founder and partner Craig, his close buddy was uh, high up at Skype. And essentially, we got a contract with Skype to deliver headphone products, smart TV webcam products, and deliver an e-commerce solution for people to shop for these products on Skype.com. And it's 2010-ish? 2011. Yeah, so it was just before Skype got acquired by Microsoft. And that went really well, and it ended up introducing us to a ton of different manufacturers. And Craig's background, he's a few years older than me. Uh, his background is in manufacturing. My background is in e-commerce software. So it kind of, kind of worked. He's definitely the more senior of the two of us in terms of uh, experience and, and know-how at the time, Craig. Um, so, so we started down the path uh, making some products with Skype, which led to building some uh, relationships with companies that wanted to produce Skype-enabled products. So we ended up working with Panasonic, Sharp, LG, GE, and a couple other companies. There's actually a, a speakerphone over there called Clear One that we were involved in the e-commerce sale. That's that product on Skype.com in 2012. Kind of funny enough. <laughs> and off the back of that, we ended up turning ourselves into a bit of an R&D agency. 
where the niche was that we would build a product for, for a company and then also use that product to land ourselves an e-commerce contract with them. And we had built out the infrastructure to deliver direct-to-consumer e-commerce in 27 countries. Well, 27 regions, we'll call it, because Europe, can't, we count as one region. And with that capability, we essentially were working with uh, different brands saying, hey, you know, we'll build a product for you, but then let us sell it on your own website, put in a little script to redirect users from these countries, and we'll deliver an e-commerce solution in those countries. So we did that for a couple of years, delivering these kind of custom e-commerce solutions, acting as an agency. When we landed a contract with a manufacturing company out of Hong Kong named Benetton, they owned the Motorola license for uh, smart home products and baby monitors. And from there, I learned a ton while working as a contracted agency for, for this Hong Kong Chinese company. And what I learned out of that is actually how to build scalable consumer electronics. Right? So, so we ended up building a large team that was kind of a mix between our own eBuyNow team and a third-party partner that we're in the process of acquiring at the moment and uh, an outsourced team in India. It was kind of the mix of all of us, but 105 staff at the time. And we ended up producing products for, for under the Motorola brand for this, for this company. And how that started is that we originally wanted to have a prototype. We, we approached them saying like, hey, we want to run your e-commerce. That was our original goal. And they're like, well, you guys make cameras for Skype. Maybe can you make us a Wi-Fi camera that's a baby monitor? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, sure, sure. Will you pay? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll do it, you know. And at the time, Microsoft was just buying Skype, and we knew our days were really limited in the Skype ecosystem because Microsoft planned on taking everything over. So we were on the hunt for different types of contracts to keep, you know, keep continuity. So we said, yeah, we'll take this prototype contract. And we took it and said, okay, you've got, you know, a few weeks to go get this done. We need a prototype. So essentially, we hacked apart a previous product that we had, stuffed it inside of a baby monitor, and called it a Wi-Fi connected baby monitor, right? Like a real rough, real rough prototype. And team came together really quickly to go execute that prototype. Prototype went off to large trade show in Barcelona called Mobile World Congress, and the factory brought a buyer from Walmart to the trade show. And essentially, the buyer at Walmart was like, "Hey guys, cool product, cool camera. Yeah, we'll take a hundred thousand of them for Black Friday if you can get it done." Great, great, like great. <laughs> of course we can do that. Great, no problem. So spend the next few months getting the product ready. We actually ship it on time, goes out, sells for Black Friday, big success, the thing works, right? So how much time do you have for, for that? Um, around six months, maybe, maybe maybe seven months. It wasn't a significant amount of time to mm -hmm. go from like prototype to yeah. mass production and actually ship it. And at the time I was hopping between India, Vietnam, and Hong Kong constantly just to you know try and rally the troops, get everyone, get everyone working. And with that, learn the game of team outsourcing, right? Where you like you can build a strategic partnership with someone, they can handle a core competency while you handle your own core competency. And the relationships that we built through that are like fueling our business today. But off of the back of that first success with Walmart, uh, we ended up producing I think 27 more cameras under uh, like different variants of cameras under the Motorola brand, where we're essentially acting as an R&D and e-commerce agency for an existing factory. We didn't own the product, right? We didn't own the revenue. So this, the sales started skyrocketing for these products and things were going really well and we're sitting there not really getting a payday out of this whole thing. And we tried to work different commercial deals. Both sides overvalued ourselves, if that makes sense. Like the Hong Kong company overvalued their input and we overvalued our input and just we just couldn't make anything work. So in uh, late 2016, we realized that, okay, we've got all of the skills, the knowledge, the connections, and the know-how to go produce our own product. 
Right? So we started down the path of executing our, our own product. And we had a really big hiccup along this way, which nearly killed us as a company. So we started actually making a video doorbell product. We went out, we licensed a major laptop brand for smart home. There was a great deal, it was an amazing contract. It was for nine years and it rolled in for another five or six, something like this. I think it was a 14 year total contract. And we started producing a video doorbell, right? Thinking like, hey, this is the next big thing. Uh, we had meetings with Costco and Costco you know, gave us order estimates saying, hey, a major brand product, you know, if you can get it at this price point, get it down to 99 bucks, uh, and it does like these features, go compete with Ring for a video doorbell. And we're thinking, yeah, okay, we got this. You know, we're doing the math, we're like, this is like a $70 million order if everything works out right, right? So we go, we produce the product, and we, we decided to be really smart, right? We thought we could be really clever and build out like this custom sensor that, uh, that essentially was there to decide if it was a person in front of the camera or not without waking up the camera itself. So it's like a motion sensor that's typically used for like pet detection. Mm -hmm. And we put that on the battery, put it into the video doorbell, and we send it out for user trials. Like produce the thing, get it ready for production, and we send it out to the users. And we start seeing that uh, the battery life is about two weeks on the product. A specs that we needed to meet was at least two months. So we ended up going back to Costco saying like, hey, we can't get the two month battery life, we can get the two week battery life. And they're like, yeah, well, fuck off. Essentially, right? <laughs> so we tried to like respin the product, twist it into something a little bit different, you know, say, oh, it's going to be a wired product that you can wire it into your existing doorbell, but that wasn't going to fly, right? That, that didn't work. So we ended up having to shelf that product because there's, there's not a significant market for video doorbells outside of the market that Ring dominates, right? They're like super dominant, they're owned by Amazon now, and it wasn't a market we thought we could compete in without a major flagship customer. So we decided to pivot the business and go back to the things that we knew really well and decided to go with baby monitors because we had produced a ton of baby monitors when we were executing that under the Motorola brand. I said, okay, baby monitors, great. We go to a major brand. He's saying, hey, we're not going to launch a video doorbell first. We're going to launch a baby monitor, you know, this line of baby monitors. They weren't so keen on that, and that relationship started to fall apart because, you know, we had started with a video doorbell, which is a very trendy product, and we go to another product that was less trendy, right? They didn't really see themselves in that area. and Some other stuff I can't really talk about too much about how that went. But off of that, we had built a product that was ready to ship, right? Like, we were ready to ship shit. We can't, we couldn't get approval to ship it, is what it came down to. And we said, okay, well, what can we do? What brands do we know that can actually get this product at the door? So we went, had a conversation with Kodak. And Kodak was like, yeah, cool. Let's do this, right? And, you know, produce the, the full product and say, here it is. You know, can we get the approval to ship this? Can we license the brand? They said, yes, let's do this. So we ended up with, five-year contract that renews every year for, for 10 years and got a really you know awesome agreement with Kodak to go ship that product. So the, the products that we were originally producing there were able to ship this past October, right? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I'm questioning if I should, some of the specifics of this, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, anyway, so we started shipping, shipping our first baby monitor products this past October and sales are going really well. You know, we're in the top 10 in Canada at the moment. Uh, we're creeping up on the top 10 in the US. Now we've got our eyes set on, like the targets are set on our previous partners that make the Motorola product, obviously. We're looking at them <laughs> and being like, all right, we have to outperform the products that, you know, that we were part of previously. So it's under Kodak brand. Yeah, it's under yeah. Kodak brand. So if you go, you know, you can go on Amazon today and buy Kodak baby monitor product. And I think today we actually may have put our security products live. So you can probably go get a Kodak home security product uh, like home security camera, very mm -hmm. similar to our baby monitors, slight twist. Um, 
and we are rolling out a number of other products throughout the year. So we have an outdoor camera system, really similar to Arlo, like a wireless, battery-powered uh, outdoor camera, super cool system, really aggressively priced, it's going to sell like hotcakes. Uh, and then we're doing an outdoor uh, lighting system, it's like floodlights with cameras built in, super cool for above your garage. And then we have a range of video doorbells and audio intercom system that we're trying to hunt for a brand right now because Kodak, great for imaging products, like an amazing brand to license for camera products. We could not have done better, I think. Uh, we're hunting for a brand for an audio product now. Um, and then moving forward, we have, uh, we have a line of wearables under another brand that I probably can't discuss publicly yet, okay? But we will be showing that off at CES in the first week of January. So we're at an event called Showstoppers in January. We're going to be showing off and announcing some products that'll be really cool under a really recognizable uh, smartphone brand name that uh, that we're licensing. It's going to be it's going to be really exciting. So that's kind of where we are today, and we're on like a high growth path at the moment. And really, the business has started to take off just this past year. Like we kind of went through the past seven years of trying to like we were a business trying to find a business model. Yeah. If that makes sense, like we had a really great team, like our core team has been with us since day one. It's the same people, we've like sometimes we've changed titles and changed roles. You know, I started as CTO and moved over to CIO as my, you know, development management skills weren't what they needed to be in order to take us to the next level. So brought in someone that's really specific for that skill set. And we've really been kind of finding yeah, trying to find a business model for the last few years and then this last year everything kind of clicked like all the experiences all lined up um, and everything seems to be going like too good right now we're kind of waiting for <laughs> something to go wrong right so yeah we're really really happy where we are today yeah it's kind of the background not many startups get started with like a partnering with a big brand yeah things like that so do you find that having those relationships in place of course helps you sort of catapult when you're starting out well okay so so Yes, my, but my business partner, Craig, mm -hmm. he has a superpower that he can find himself in a boardroom or at dinner with a CEO of a very large company through like some sort of magic, all right? It's like, it's his superpower. His, his capability of navigating through large organizations to get through to decision makers mm -hmm. is like nothing I've ever seen before. So I can take no credit for our initial mm -hmm. traction. Right? Like none of it. I can take no credit for being able to like license the brands. No credit. That is entirely his genius skill set. So without a partner in this case, or like a more experienced partner, I don't think, I don't know if I'd be an entrepreneur for one. Mm -hmm. I'd probably be like a solo contractor. Right? I may never have developed the skills without them being cultivated. And I'd say, yeah, the big brand play, like getting in with big brands came from partnering with someone who's already been there and done that. Right, because previous to Craig doing a deal with Skype, he had done a deal with Microsoft, right? Just oddly, Microsoft bought Skype. And then there's a number of brands that he had worked with previously. So being able to partner with someone with more experience was, uh, I was incredibly lucky. And actually, how I ended up in a partnership with Craig is beyond insane. So originally, Craig had hired me as a contractor to help execute the e-commerce business. I had a little bit of free time. I was doing, you know, a day job and doing some contracting on my days off, sort of thing. So I took a contract with Craig, and essentially, uh, it came to a point that he's like, you know what, e-commerce as a core business isn't something that we really want to focus on. We really want to just be a hardware business. And at the time, he had his own hardware brand that was like launching a ton of products. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know what, just 
Connor, kill the e-commerce business. You know, just go out and like, you don't need it. I was like, okay, so essentially I'm gonna have to fire myself. That's what I'm really, that's what I have to do, right? So, and this is like, we had only known each other for a couple months and it was like, there was very much like a, a boss and contractor relationship. And then after a couple months, you know, we're on a phone call and, and he's like, yeah, so, you know, we're just gonna keep going with company A and company B, we're actually just gonna not keep going. You know, it's not, it's not worthwhile having a dedicated company to it. And I was like, well, you can't let us go, man. Like, you can't, you can't. Uh, I'll work for free. <laughs> and he's like, wait, who will work for free? <laughs> they were like, what? Right? So I was like, okay. So then I uh, started doing a little bit of little bit of work with Craig kind of as a solo contractor doing kind of freebie work, trying to prove my value to him, if that made sense. And at the time he was like big boss man, you know, like my, how I perceived him was like, oh yeah, make the boss happy. It doesn't matter if I'm taking a paycheck or not. And then I had this idea that, hey, why don't I continue with the same business model that he was trying to execute, but slightly different, right? Why don't I call it something else? So I uh, built out a pretty shitty website that's called like broadbrand.net, okay? And I was like, take the business model of international e-commerce and call it broadbrand, and I'll ask Craig to be my CEO, all right? This was like, all right, I'm gonna ask this dude who's got all this experience to be my CEO. I like asked him to go for coffee at Starbucks, and I was like, hey, here's a website. Look, here's me, CTO, here's you, CEO. Look, we can do this business. Like, I'll still work for free, but you gotta be my CEO. And he's like, no, 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 fuck off. <laughs> so uh, he's like, no, that's not happening. A couple days passed, and he's like, hey, actually, hmm, not bad. He's like, I'm in Canada on an entrepreneur's visa, and I, I need a Canadian company. So if you wanna kind of run this Canadian thing, that satisfies, uh, you know, entrepreneurs' visa requirements to have like a significant amount of spending in Canada and, and own fifty uh, percent of a Canadian organization or a Canadian entity. And he's like, yeah, great. He's like, if you want to go do it, I'll take half. Essentially, he didn't really want to be heavily involved at the time. And I was like, okay, great, great. He's like, but you got to call it eBuy Now because I, I spent twenty five grand for eBuyNow.com, and it would be a shame to waste it. <laughs> right. So that's like how we ended up with like the company name, right? And from there, I spent about 10 months building out our e-commerce system for his own hardware brand and landing a couple customers to get that initial paycheck, right? And, and at the time, I was still working a day job two days a week, and the owner of that company gave me a huge gift at the time that he was like, hey, uh, I know you want more money as, as a thing. I'm not willing to pay you more money, but I'll let you go down to two, two days a week, right? So him allowing me to go down to two days a week gave me the free time to go start a business, essentially. And then when the business needed a little bit of funding, I went back to him and said, hey, you wanna help? So he ended up being kind of our master distributor for a little while and giving us like net 30 credit terms. So as we like, we were able to like produce some product, he would buy it from the factory in like large quantities and then we could pay for it as we sold it. And that helped us get our initial traction on, like to produce our own first hardware products at the time. So uh, big thank you to Alec Rosa. Hey, thanks man. <laughs> and yeah, from there, the business just started to roll down this agency path that we had started this business with the idea of international e-commerce being an agency play. Uh, did that for a little while and then realized that you know agency work after a long time of doing it is tiresome, right? You're all, you're constantly hunting. There's no like long-term value that you're really building, right? You can like one phone call come your day, right? When, when you're depending on another company for a paycheck, it's not a safe place, right? So that's when we made the decision in 2016 to pivot the business 
into being a product business and go produce our own products and go do that. We were able to uh, essentially bootstrap it until just a few months ago based off of like shred credits, right? Because all the deals that we did, we retained all the intellectual property when we were doing the work. And through like shred tax credits, we were able to like help fund the initial processes of like building our first products and things like that and partnering with companies that were really competent in certain areas. Like, okay, hardware development company, great. Partner with them, do a royalty deal so that you're not paying them for their R&D up front, right? They take like a portion of the revenues, great. You know, get an app team, okay, great. You know, and kind of piece it together like that. I'd say we were able to secure almost every contract that we've ever gotten over the last seven years from like really creative partnerships, right? And that's like, that's something that Craig brings to the table that is not a skill set that I've, I ever am able to develop, I don't think, right? Did you guys do outsourcing from the beginning or did you have a new so, team? So we are entirely remote, okay? We're like okay. proudly remote. And it depends how you look at outsourcing, okay? I don't, I, some people think outsourcing is like a bad word, mm -hmm. right? We don't use outsourcing agencies ever. Okay, we never use like BPO offices or like business process outsourcing companies that are like, all right, here's three, three people, they're 30 bucks an hour, good luck, right? We never do that. What we always do is hire contractors direct and we employ them legally as contractors. So we're, we're paying them a, a set rate for a job remotely, but we treat them like employees. We ensure that they have great time with their families. And through like Odesk or what's now Upwork.com, we were able to like originally hunt down some really talented people. Our COO is out of Croatia, our CTO, he's out of Spain, our head of web dev, he's out of Portugal, our head of support is out of Greece, wow. right? We're totally, totally, totally remote, totally global. And we've been able to secure some amazing talent because a lot of people aren't in a situation that they can go locally to a nine to five. Like our COO is on a small island in the Adriatic, right? Like, I think Adriatic. Yeah, good. Okay, good. <laughs> and it's just like, where are you going to find, where would she go? She's brilliant, super capable. But is she going to be able to find a job that uses all of her talents? Maybe not, right? We've hired a ton of like stay-at-home moms that are in the transitionary period that, you know, they used to be doing some like really, really uh, high-level job and now they find themselves, you know, working with the kids at home thinking like, hey, I need to, I need to do something got to do something what am I what am I gonna do like when you're in that position it's really difficult to find challenging work and we've been able to attract really amazing talent by giving them challenging work right so we're totally remote we don't outsource mm -hmm. but we use all all remote staff right? yeah. yeah that's that's pretty cool I mean, like yeah I guess you give up the team collaboration not at all in office not at all but I, but you're not like how do you how do you create that environment yeah. remotely because that's something me personally, I like to go into an office and collaborate and work with the team and see faces. And I find it very hard to connect with people on different time zones. And so, okay, the time zone thing is always a challenge. Okay, yeah. that like a, it's always a challenge. Skype is what we use. Okay, like we have maybe 20 different Skype channels for different topics. Right? Soft spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're like, yeah. <laughs> love, we're, love for Skype. Yeah. Love for Skype always. Okay. Like they have enabled our business to do so much. That's okay. great. So we use Skype religiously for everything like all phone calls all meetings everything like that and then really 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 strict task management is the other side of things so we use teamwork.com for all task management we all partners all contractors all all customers everything goes through teamwork if it's an official task if it has a deadline if it needs documentation it goes in there right so by being really strict on our business processes it doesn't really matter where people are 
We use Skype for real-time communication and collaboration, and we do it based off of topics. Right, so we have a launch channel for like specific product launches, and we have an advertising channel for advertising-related topics, you know, and finance channel, a budget channel, and not, like for every single major topic has its own channel. Very similar to Skype, or very similar to Slack, how they have how they structure it. We just use Skype groups, right? Similar, similar process, and through that, we're able to get really good camaraderie, right? And we ensure that all the staff meet each other, or almost all staff meet each other, every once in a while. We, we figure out a, a, an excuse for people to meet. Right? I don't know if we'll ever change. We'll see if this scales. Right? This is one of the one of the questions. At twenty staff, no problem. Forty staff, yeah, a little bit more challenging. Two hundred, four hundred. Don't know if it scales, right? Because right now we can have that like one layer of, of senior management can manage you know a handful of people. Mm -hmm. So you've got like executive, senior management, and then and then like hands on. And it's not terribly difficult to manage two layers of, yeah, yeah, like it's almost flat management. Mm -hmm. uh, where that stops scaling, don't know yet. You know, the goal is to keep this as one of our skill sets because it's been incredibly useful for like bringing on new talent quickly and like repositioning people into different teams. Like, hey, you're now on this team. You don't have to like move offices. You're not worried about the office politics or dynamics. Mm -hmm. We have almost no politics other than like when Craig and I are beating each other up, you know, but a lot of the time, like we've had a physical office in the past and there were some downsides to it that we no longer have. There's definitely some upsides, yeah. but yeah, I, lo I love being remote. The logistics of remote are kind of more challenging, but also in the hardware industry, I'm sure you've seen your- Oh, we couldn't be local. Yeah. Challenge as well. Yeah. 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 There's no way that we actually could be local in our business. Yeah. So. The, the skill set to develop hardware doesn't exist here, right. right? There's no there's no Yeah, I think you're hiring higher level talent at a much higher skill level than you would if you remained even just like BC, Yeah. right? So you, there's a huge advantage. It'd be really interesting to hear when you do scale, if you can scale this thing, because I think that's a really interesting yeah, like, in case same, study for people who are gonna wanna know if you can maintain what you've got at this size. Yeah, yeah, I mean, scale. we're going through merger slash acquisition right now of one of our core R&D partners that has done all the firmware, app, and hardware development for all the products going back to day one. And with that, it'll be two physical offices that come on board in Hong Kong and Vietnam, um, mm. which will provide us a little that bit more things. rigidity, right? Yeah. And you know, the CEO of, or president, not really sure official title, president of that team will become our chief commercial officer who will be responsible for our sales, right? So our sales team, I've reported to him, he's in a physical office, they're remote. We'll see how the dynamic plays out, but definitely some interesting challenges. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, I think it'll work out fine. We've managed to push it through this far and just really good documentation has made like the world of a difference. Yeah. yeah. Just going, going back a bit, you recognize some things that you're not good at and you mentioned hiring for that. And I, and I don't know if you're talking about your CEO, but you talked about development-wise. I'm just kind of curious about that, and like we meet with lots of entrepreneurs, and there you see lots of examples. There, there's a certain level of ego at play to get to this level of entrepreneurship or running yeah. a company. How did you kind of recognize that for the betterment of the company, you needed someone else, and how did that kind of sit with you personally? Because it had to be a bit of a, hey, I'm not good at this. Uh, yeah. 
You know, like yeah, totally. We could just kind of talk about that. I would love to say that it was all like through great reflection and that I like totally found my own weaknesses and called myself out on it. But in reality, it's that having like a close partner, you call each other out on their weaknesses. So, you know, we give Craig and I give each other shit regularly, and it helps highlight your areas of improvement. Right. So. You know, I am not a um, daily repetitive task person. Right? That, is not, that is not the role that I will ever play in any organization. Right? If the same ha task has to be done, you know, every single day, five days a week, probably not for me. Dev management, it's that kind of role, right? You know, check the pull requests, go through, approve it, make sure everything's okay, great. Very, very regimented, right? Knowing that that's not my skill set, okay, in that case, you know, moved over from being CTO to CIO so that someone else can fill that role that is, you know, specifically talented at that process that the business mm -hmm. needs. So, and then also just when you're, uh, when you care about your staff, like I, our team is a family, like I, I love everyone I work with. I feel so incredibly lucky to work with people who are so smart and capable. Like it's, it's an awesome experience right now. I don't want to let them down. Right, so when I start falling short on my own deliverables, uh, it's not fair to the people that I care about to keep trying to push through when I have the capability of being in control of resources to put someone in there that can do a better job than me. Right, so um, I guess just like recognize your own, your own failure as it's happening and spin it into looking like uh, brilliance by being like, well, look, I got this other great guy to come in and do it. So, and then, I don't know, there, there's also something to say about mentorship. Like, I've had a number of mentors like throughout throughout my like adult life. My business partner's definitely been one of them, right? It's kind of a uh, interesting dynamic. And from that, it makes you a little more reflective than you would be otherwise, right? Because you kind of want to be accountable to someone that is like judging you daily, right? So you, you try and make better decisions um, with the ego aside. And I'd say the ego thing, in, in for at least for my experience in business, and I can I can probably speak on Craig's behalf as well, that in the early days you care about like the title, the job, or like something like this. But over time, you realize that your does the team you've built are they working? Like, does it work? Mm -hmm. uh, have you created something that's worthwhile? Like, you just kind of forget about your own, uh, I guess, ego in this in this case. Mm -hmm. And you just hope that like the family that you've built stays together. I don't know if that makes much sense, but uh, recognizing what you're not good at helps the company, which helps the people, which ultimately achieves what you wanted anyway. Yeah, yeah. But recognizing that maybe you're not the person to do it, and trying to do it is actually not achieving the goal. And this is the goal beyond kind of making money and making a successful company. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. You sound pretty passionate about you know this, these are your family, these are your friends. Yeah, you, know, you want good yeah. things to happen for them, and so surrounding yourself with people who can do those things that you can't is so important. But it, rec it starts with recognizing that you can't do it. Well, and also and that's hard sometimes. And, and also, like the opposite, like insecurities drive a lot of decisions, right? Yeah. You inevitably are going to have insecurities throughout the process, right? But you have to keep a strong face on when you're working with the team in order to like cultivate confidence, yeah. right? Like if you say this is where we're going, you need to like sound like you're sure, right? <laughs> But we're doing things for the first time, a lot of the time, with like, and trying to do them boldly, right? Like, we're doing this thing, we're going, we're going forward. 
and when you don't actually know what you're doing half of the time, you know, <laughs> like cut this part out. Don't yeah, <laughs> but in reality, in reality, like yeah. you're you're doing your very best, yeah. right? And a lot of the time, you there's no one you could go talk to who's yeah. done this before, like yeah. a specific thing. And the process of constantly being unsure uh, leads to you having to check, am I doing the right thing, right? So the process of actually being insecure is super useful mm -hmm. that it doesn't let your ego think you're gonna be awesome and do a perfect job every time, you know? Yeah, but you have to, you have to kind of set that North Star of like, we're gonna do this. Yeah. No one's ever done it. And yeah. speak with like conviction yeah. and, and show confidence, but be at the same time be willing to change if, ne if necessary yeah. to yeah. achieve that even maybe moving where you're going a little yeah bit. yeah and just know that like your job as a business owner as a, a leader in a company is just like set the destination right and then the path you can like you can't drive it specifically you can like herd people and yeah. help direct it right but you can't lead the charge it just doesn't work like you can't do all of the work that gets you all the way there right. you can be like here's where we're going this is this is the destination let's try to get there. let's try and get there and let's just do it one step at a time make sure that we're on the right path you know you set set metrics that are useful for people to measure themselves against and as they measure themselves day by day or week by week saying like am I on the right path you know that hopefully you're going to the right destination sometimes especially in like a developer type role, the developer will look at a specific feature, not the overall end mm -hmm. outcome, right? So you always have to like set forms of measurement that encourage them to do the right thing rather than close tickets. Mm -hmm. But did you produce something that was bug-free and satisfied your stakeholders? That's our measurement. Output, like, not output. Yeah, yeah, so it's like we don't care how many tickets you closed mm -hmm. or you know how many lines of code you wrote, this is not a form of measurement that we track. Is that the stakeholder that assigned you a task, are they thoroughly satisfied? Right, and then that way, that's the accountability, and then you end up with a good team dynamic, mm -hmm. right? That the people that are responsible for the team don't feel like their team's gonna let them down, and the people that are on the team don't feel like they're just doing work for the sake of doing work. Right. So with the e-commerce space, you guys said you sell a lot on Amazon. Let's use yep. your own take on Amazon itself as it continues to expand, and they have their own brand. Yeah, and tries to undercut the people who are selling their own website as well. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> super interesting scenario right now. Like I, I told you, we went down this video doorbell space, right? And we will not, like, we have a product that we're essentially ready to ship today. I don't know if we'll ship it in regions that sell on Amazon because there's a whole IP challenge there. There's a lot of patents in the space, so we might not uh, actually start selling. But with Amazon specifically, them going into like buying up brands and buying product leaders, it's really, really interesting. I don't know, but I wonder if like they're marketplace sellers, you know, mm -hmm. the, the people that, that treat Amazon truly as like a marketplace and they're a vendor on it and they're selling to the open community, if they have to start competing with Amazon, if that gives rise to a like pure marketplace play. Right? Is that the inevitable future? As like, if Amazon gobbles up too many companies in too many categories, are they just a uh, mega brand? Right? Do they become this massive brand that owns all these other brands? And is there going to be a mass exodus of people that leave, Am like vendors that leave Amazon, saying like, "Hey, I don't want to compete with the platform that I'm selling on." Right? Because Amazon will charge you, you know, in the product categories that we operate in, between eight and fifteen percent, just to sell on their platform. And often your sales will dip based on Amazon's promotions of their own products. Like if you're competing in a similar product category. 
So Amazon's an interesting play that right now it's where the traffic is. Mm -hmm. The conversion rates on Amazon are astronomical. Like they're amazing conversion rates, so you gotta be there. Right? And the advertising, there's good ROI, so you gotta be there. Right? Like it is it's the thing that makes sense. Compared to your own website, the brand trust on Amazon is through the roof, right? People go there to buy. People start their searches for product on Amazon. You don't start on Google looking for, yeah, in our case, a baby monitor, right? You start on Amazon. So there's no way of avoiding it, right? Especially in, in North America and other regions, there's, there's different marketplaces. But yeah, I don't know if inevitably they'll lead to creating a competitor that's truly an open marketplace. I don't think in the next couple of years we'll see it, mm -hmm. but I know like Walmart's trying really hard trying really, really hard to take over Amazon's spot. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, we are specifically trying to avoid categories where Amazon is dominant with their own products. Yeah. And I assume, you know, we're the norm. Yeah. So yeah, interesting play. <laughs> so if you were to start today, Connor, looking back from everything you've built, um, very interesting business, logistically hard to, to do as well, is that what would you change? Oh, I wouldn't bootstrap. That it's been bootstrapping's hard. Like it is a brutal process of like setting out a project plan and be like, hey, we're gonna go do this, and you don't have the money to do it on day one, right? And you have to go figure it out. And for us, we had our one revenue stream pays for one one area of expense, right? And it's always like, well, if this thing doesn't keep going, if our agency work doesn't keep going, we can't do this other thing. I would have done it differently. That I would have built out a great team, platform, and process, but maybe not have started building product until uh, we had secured some significant funding. Because originally, like when we first started the business, this kind of goes back to the ego thing, that you want to be like a business owner. And in my case, it's like, I own 50%. That's my, like, that's, that's important to me. And then over time, you realize that ownership doesn't really matter as much as like leadership or influence over your, over your own destiny, right? So I would have happily on day one given up a significant portion of ownership in order for it to be funded externally because it would have been a much easier path, right? Like yeah. it's knowing now if let's say we had an exit from eBuy Now and a couple years from now we found ourselves, you know, doing another startup, it would be a very different game that it would start with how much money do we need? Okay, let's go get that money and then go execute the business. Obviously there's like, it's a process, but yeah, yeah knowing what I know now, uh, I would have done it differently, right? And that, I give that advice to startup founders that like go secure funding, do it, or at least find a way of paying yourself. I was lucky that, you know, had, a, had an employer that had some flexibility, but being able to pay other people, it's incredibly stressful and there's lots of money out there if you are you know, capable of executing and you got a really solid business. So yeah. that's what I would have done differently. Other than that, I do exactly the same thing with the same team and the same product. <laughs> like, I love what we're doing. We've had, we've had enough curves, you know, different takes on a similar business model to know that we're finally somewhere that makes us happy. Right? So I, I do the business that we're doing today with very few changes, I'd say except for how we funded it because it would have fast-tracked us dramatically cool yeah that's interesting it's an interesting take i think you can get wrapped up in owning that i'm a bootstrapper and, yeah yeah and yeah. then you look back and you're like man that was really hard 
Yeah. You're like, why did I do that? To and it takes so long, right? <laughs> yeah. So could have saved myself some like gray hair and a, and a couple of years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, great to have you here. Thanks for sharing your story. Really cool. appreciate Thanks. you uh, sharing all of that info. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in today. And be sure to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. Check out our website at 20mile.co or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram at 20mileco. And until then, just keep on marching.